genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no. You can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast. My name's Al, I'm a business owner. My name's Leanne, I'm a business psychologist. And our podcast helps leaders to navigate the complex world of people and culture. None of no, Nothing is quite as complex at the moment as our top story, which is Twitter and the layoffs. I think we said at the end of, of last episode that we were going to separate this into two parts, just because of the sheer volume of things to get through based on Elon Musk's behavior and what is the continuing uh, story at Twitter. Um, even in the last few days, we've seen further updates of Elon firing people via Twitter. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it just, it's, it just, no, I've, I don't have words, Al. I don't have words <laughs> for just the pure bad practice that we're seeing from Elon Musk at the moment. But yes, how he has fired people via Twitter for, quote, shit posting about Twitter. I think we should talk about that in another episode because I think that in itself is just flawed. There's, they're the people that you you want to hear from and you want to influence change in your business. But yes, and then now Elon's locked people out of the Twitter offices. What What is going on over there? Now, I want to be clear, we're not necessarily like just shitting on Twitter. Uh, that's not our plan here. Our plan is, um, in fact, what we did last in the last episode, we kind of broke it down into three sections. We looked at what the impact he's doing or he's having on the business, what the impact is having on the brand, and then um, the impact he's having on the people. And uh, and that's what you've missed last time. So if you've not listened to the first episode, you can, of course, listen to this one, but you're missing all of the juicy bits. There's, you're missing all the meat in the pie, if that's a weird, not a weird analogy. Um, because in the last one we started off, we kicked off with a timeline and we talked through how it all started and only, only it was only April it all started um, then we talked about how three and a half thousand or three thousand seven hundred or something a number of employees do you remember how many employees were were, were laid off 
it's estimated about 3,700, but that probably doesn't include contractors who have also lost their job. That's at Twitter. Um, and then, of course, this isn't a new thing or, or a standalone thing in the tech space at the moment. We have about 1,000 people who've been laid off from Stripe, 700 from Lyft, um, and most recently, a huge 11,000 from Meta. So as Al says, we're not hating on Twitter or Elon Musk here. This isn't a unique problem within the tech industry at the moment, but what is bringing around an interesting point of discussion, particularly for business leaders who might be faced with similar difficult decisions. And you would have learned this from the last episode. It's not about making this commercial decision. It's about how that decision is executed. Definitely. So we are still going to hear from our three guests. Um, we've got Stephen Waddington, um, who is a PR expert, a, a professor of PR at Newcastle University and an ex-head of the CIPR, the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Then we're going to hear from Aaron Kushnakama, who's an author and a tech analyst. And he's talked about he's got a book called Restartup, A Founder's Guide to Crisis Navigation. And finally, we'll be hearing back from Dr. Candice Schaefer, who is a clinical psychologist and wellbeing expert. Um, and most interestingly, for the purposes of this episode, is the former uh, global head of employee wellness at Twitter, a post she held up until April 2022. So talking of Dr. Schaefer, we left the last episode on a little bit of a bombshell because we asked Candice, will Twitter survive from this? Here's what she had to say. I don't know, to be honest. Um, I think Facebook has gone through such a metamorphosis, um, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> meta. Um, but uh, Twitter, I don't, I, I am afraid Twitter will not recover from this. So in this part of the episode, we're going to look at the current situation and the future. So what is the impact of the layoffs um, on leaders. Let's be honest, you know, we've centered very much on uh, criticizing some of the, the approaches certain leaders have made. Uh, but of course, psychologically, mentally, this isn't always an easy process for leaders to go through. So we're going to we're going to reflect on that a little bit. We're also going to talk a little bit about um, my experience being made redundant. Um, I do empathize so much and it is one of the most difficult challenges. So so yeah, we're going to talk openly about about my experiences. And then of course, you know, if you have been impacted by the redundancies, what steps you can take next to, to look after yourself um, and to get back out there and find your next opportunity. I mean, for somebody like Dr. Candice to say, you know, she's not sure Twitter will make it. I think it really does, really just make the point so powerfully that how leaders approach people, approach culture, how they treat their people really can commercially be a make or break moment. <sighs> As kind of said, this is a heartbreaking situation and you do have to think about the people who are still at Twitter who are dealing with this aftermath and, and what's left of the culture. Let's see what Candice thinks. Oh, um, I kind of feel like, um, and for the people that I do know that are still there, um, there's a lot of survivor guilt, you know, similar to, uh, you know, people who survive a traumatic event, like, and not everybody does. You feel guilty. Why did I get picked? Why? Why am I still here? And then not only that, you have this basically like bombshell of your over half the workforce is gone. You don't know who is still left. You go through Slack and see who's deactivated and who's still there. 
it's it's just this constant trauma almost like of of going through a war and you're not sure who survived on the other side why did you deserve to survive grieving the people who are no longer there um there's a great great sense of grief i think in losing the twitter that you once knew uh, if you really were uh, involved with culture knew what it knew what it was like and knowing that it's never going to be the same and i don't think there's really any way to get that back so that's the view of the culture of Twitter. But what about other organizations, Stripe, Lyft, Meta? What challenges are these leaders going to be facing over the next six to 12 months? I think culture, morale, um, keeping people productive, keeping people wanting to be motivated for the mission of the company is going to be the hardest thing. There's still a lot of uncertainty around where these companies are going, um, what they're going to be creating, and is it stable? And if you have a company that's unstable, on unstable ground, your employees are constantly going to be in a fearful mindset that it could be them next. Um, they may not have a job tomorrow. And so you have people who are looking for other jobs and not being committed to potentially what it is that's playing out at your company. So I think there's a ton of risk uh, in cutting too many people because you're going to take away a lot of the culture that made the company as attractive as it is. I'm curious, Leanne, would you pay for this, pay $8 for the blue tick? Would I bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why, right? It's because I see the blue tick as almost like a way of like a guarantee that I'm speaking mm. to the right person or I'm, I don't understand how I'd be able to tell the difference between like a clone account or a fake account versus the real one if they've both got a blue tick yeah i think Stephen kind of agrees do you know what i i thought hard about this because again there's a backlash from users saying how cross and angry they are actually if he explained to me um how uh, paying a subscription fee um, and i've run the numbers by the way eight eight dollars doesn't make sense it doesn't make a sustainable business it probably needs to be more than that but if he explained you know how he was going to invest that eight dollars a month in creating a sustainable business model out of twitter and a platform that was a safe environment then yeah i would absolutely pay because twitter has brought me a ton of value through uh, my life i met my wife on on twitter um i've met countless people on on twitter it's just a brilliant brilliant public space for for conversation and he's destroying the the the, the value of it so let's take some time to reflect on the lessons learned if you are a business owner there are some, you know, even a smaller business, there are definitely some lessons that we can take from this. And I'm sure you've drawn your own conclusions already. Um, but let's flip it. I mean, what impact does the layoffs have on the actual leaders of the organization? A lot, actually, um, in terms of what founders have to go through when they fire staff. Um, I, I, I spoke to several of them. I, I had 49 interviews for that book, actually, um, with CEOs and VCs. And... Uh, it's not easy on the founders. They get into mental health uh, issues when they go through uh, a firing spree. Uh, the second thing is um, the um, the number of measures uh, the founders I have spoken to have taken or took during the COVID period um, was, um, I mean, one was, for instance, um, how can we protect our 
um, ground level staff or, or the or the grassroots of the organization by the management and um, and some of the um, senior leadership senior executives taking a 30% cut in their salaries, 40% cut in their salaries. Um, and then um, mid-tier managers, you go and give them an option saying, uh, you can lose your whole team or you can take uh, a standard cut across the organization. So um, many of the CEOs that I interviewed said, people were willing to take cuts of 30, 40% on their salaries uh, than losing their team. Alan also had, I thought, was a really brilliant insight into maybe taking a different approach before you look at, at redundancies as that final straw. You know we've talked about disengagement on this podcast. You know we've talked about quiet quitting. Let's put that in the context of layoffs. There was one amazing insight that came from uh, from an investor in Silicon Valley where he had been through the process with two companies and where before he even identified people who were supposed to be let go of them for various reasons, um, he would spot people who were who he thought were anyways planning to leave the organization. So if if 10% of your organization are, are planning to get out of the door anyways, get them out of the door first, give them a smaller severance package because they, they would be happy to leave anyways. Um, and that reduces the number of people that you have to fire by 10%, which can be a big number in these, in these times. So figure out every single way that you can protect your employees. Um, and once you've done that, uh, do not go about beating the bush, just do it. So I think at this point, it's it's really important that we make a distinction between Twitter and Stripe. It is not a direct comparison. Stripe is responding to an economic downturn. Twitter is responding to that plus an acquisition. So this scenario is very, very different. I asked Dr. Candice what advice she'd offer to any business leaders out there who might be going through a merger or acquisition and how they might manage layoffs effectively and most importantly, protect employee well-being. Uh, I cannot recommend enough an appropriately planned change management process because really as human beings, and as a psychologist, I know this in trying to help people change for the better is people don't like change. <laughs> they, they are afraid of change. It's uncertainty. And so the more you can craft communications, give appropriate training and really communicate to your employees in a way that makes them feel safe, or at least they know what direction things are going, um, can really be a valuable tool. And I think the thing is, you know, transparency and honesty, as we've said before, is so, so important. When I asked Dr. Candice about this, I thought she summed it up beautifully. They're letting employees know, right? Like we knew Meta uh, had, I think, let people know at the beginning of the week or late last week that layoffs were coming. The days of um, infinite money in tech companies has come to a, a, a stop. I do think there are ways to message what is going on in in the world and relating that to what is happening in the business and kind of making the connections between the two um, and then giving more of the why, uh, why we've made this decision because people also want to understand why you're cutting certain departments. How did you even make these choices? Um, and it still may not satisfy uh someone's need for for answers um but at least you're you're trying to answer them you're trying to be transparent and what i've seen over 
a lot of the research that's come out from like Gallup Institute is really people want a transparent uh, environment. They want to know what is going on, at least to the extent that they can know, um, because it makes them feel both trusted and um, that they uh, aren't being lied to. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the Hubspot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. In fact, if you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we say copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So while this is a huge media story, it's also a human story. We will be offering some advice and support for those who have been affected by the layoffs, both at um, Twitter, at Stripe and the other tech companies, but also if you're just listening and you're going through this, stay tuned. We've got some tips for you. Okay, so I think there are... There's a lot of people who are qualified to talk about this, but Leanne's not only a business psychologist, but she also went through redundancy, what, about seven years ago, was it? I did. I was made redundant back in 2015. I kind of saw it coming, but not entirely. It was one of the most challenging experiences I have ever been to. Emotionally, psychologically, it was a real, real strain. Um Dr. Candice understands this and, and she helps explain what we go through in this state. It's really hard because people will go into a panic state once they find out that this is going to happen. And when people panic, uh, it's hard to get them to think rationally. Uh, so there's almost like needs to be a cooling down period um, as well for that prefrontal cortex to get back online um, and be able to use that rational side of our brain. So I have a question then. So redundancy is clearly a traumatic and emotional experience is there a particular scientific or psychological reason why this is yeah so i think you know dr Kanner's mentioned our brains don't like change they don't like to feel uncomfortable they don't like uncertainty a little bit is good too much not so much so when we we feel this this threat you've heard of the threat response or what's better known as fight or flight so fight or flight means that the brain and the body is getting ready to deal with the threat and basically send energy to those parts of the body that will help protect us, whether that's to run or, or whatever it is we need to do. So specifically, fight or flight arouses the amygdala. Now, bear with me. I'm going to go a bit neuroscience on you, but I'm going to take it slowly, okay? So the amygdala <laughs> is a part of the brain that controls our emotions and our motivations. So this arousal triggers a physiological reaction. Our heart rate increases, our digestion slows, our immune system is suppressed, cortisol, our stress hormone, increases, and the blood vessels in our muscles dilate. So as a result, 
blood flows away from our prefrontal cortex. This is where we do all of our considered thinking and planning and manage our emotions. And it, it, it just leaves us. It leaves us. So what are we left with then? Well, we can't think as clearly. We become anxious. We view lots of different things as threats, including people around us. Our psychological capital or our ability to be hopeful or optimistic goes out the window and our stress levels go through the roof. It really is a physiological and psychological reaction that happens when we're in this threat state, when we're made redundant. It is a debilitating psychological reaction. So what does all this science mean for the people who've actually been made redundant? Well, it's really flipping inconvenient, Al, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, let's imagine we're just at the point where we need to be sharp. We need to try and make some sense of this and we need to make some really big life decisions. But the chemistry in our brain, our psychology, is basically being thrown around like a jumper in a tumble dryer. Our brains feel so overwhelmed and fuzzy and the simplest of decisions can be difficult we're less able to process new ideas. We can't think creatively. We also start to see our, our tribe, the people around us, as a threat. So fellow, fellow colleagues that either have been made redundant or may have um, remained in the organization, we see them as the enemy. We see them as, as the blocker to us getting that new job. Um, and that just adds to all the, the stress and emotions. So all in all, it's a great place to be out when you're embarking on a job search um, that requires you to be mentally sharp and emotionally resilient. It's just marvellous. I'm guessing that's your uh, English sarcasm there. Um, so you spoke to Candice about this, didn't you? I did. Unfortunately, there are some actions that you can take. Um, you know, as Candice explains, while she does make some reference to, to Twitter in particular, there are lots of transferable tips in there. So let's have a listen. Take time honestly like uh take time to process what it is that you feel um and try to understand it uh talk with people who are supportive in your life and really uh get those feelings out uh because you don't want to carry those and there will still be a bit of a scar there uh from what happened uh but making sure that you have supportive people around you who can help you through that process and um ultimately the the amount of Tweep uh, or Twitter alumni is just amazing. Like, I think, again, it speaks to our culture uh, of everyone who's been through Twitter is still supporting those that um, are looking for jobs or, or want to talk to somebody. Um, I've probably gotten at least 20 requests and, and forwarded those resumes on to, to people I know. And so I think it's a natural time for people to want to isolate, um, depending if, you know, you're feeling embarrassed or um, really just upset, angry, um, but try not to, um, because surrounding yourself with the people who support you um, can be more valuable than, than anything. And there's a strong network uh, for culture um, at Twitter, especially. So obviously we were together when you were going through your um, redundancy. And I remember you likening it, I don't know whether it was beginning or middle or the end, to the five stages of grieving. So can you talk us through how that affected you and also remind us what these five stages are? Absolutely. I definitely felt like that. And and yeah, I think it took me a couple of stages in to, to make this connection, although it is one that that other writers and psychologists have made. I think this is where kind of Dr. Canis is saying, give yourself time. Um, you know, we look at the stages of, of grief, you've probably heard of them, 
First is denial, then anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I mean, you know, I talk about theory and talk about evidence. There is conflicting arguments about how exactly this works, whether it's linear, whether it's not, whether you finish one stage and move on. But I absolutely, having been through redundancy myself, totally um, connected with these stages and how I was feeling. Um, so I think that's the thing, you know, if this gives you a vocabulary, if this resonates with you and how you're feeling, then go with it. You know, keep a keep a little journal, write down how you're feeling that day, see if you can place yourself, you know, am I feeling angry? Am I starting to feel depressed? Um, and really just, just help yourself work through those emotions. As Dr. Candace says, you really have to feel it. And I think with that in mind as well, you know, self-compassion is so important during times like these. Go easy on yourself. This is a trauma. This is absolutely a work trauma that you are going through. And I know from my experience, it's one of the most challenging times you're likely to go through in, in terms of your career. So be kind to yourself. Find ways to calm your mind and your body. You know, mindfulness, exercise, they're all good ways to go. And I think the danger is that often people will start to neglect these habits if they already have them as part of their routine. Um, please don't keep them up. They'll play a vital role, um, both in your mental well-being and in your job search strategy. So have you got any practical steps? Any of our experts got any practical steps to get around this? I think in terms of the practical steps, of course, one, update your resume and update it with the viewpoint of your achievements. What have you really delivered in that role? Um, consider engaging an expert and we know some excellent resume writing services that you can access um, that are cost effective and others that are a bit more bougie. Um, so if you do want to hear about those, do drop us an email. We'll give all the details in the show notes. Um, and yeah, reach out to recruiters. There are so many great um, reactions on LinkedIn at the moment from recruiters of other tech companies that are reaching out uh, to people who have been made redundant. Use your network. Make those connections. People are in an empathetic space right now. So yeah, make sure you, you get the help. You ask for that help. Candace also advises to consider roles outside of tech. Your skills may be transferable. Let's hear about that. Engineers have a lot of use in other industries besides tech. Um, I get it. Tech is sexy. It has um, a lot of global recognition. It's and it's it, honestly like sometimes fun and sometimes not that you work for such a brand name company that everyone knows. Uh, you'll get a lot of questions, but you'll also get a lot of opinions about your platform and what you're doing and how you impact it. But to, to have maybe a less high profile role or, or company uh, can sometimes be a, a good backup. So the hair is the end of part two of what is probably the longest episode we've ever done here. In fact, it definitely is. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any feedback or thoughts, you know how to find us. Just go to Twitter and search for Truth Lies Work. In fact, search any of the social networks. I think we're Truth Lies Work in all of them. Um, if you do want the full story and you want the full interviews, then go to truthliesandwork.com forward slash join. That's truthlies and then the word and work.com join. And then you'll join us in our back, which not really got a name for it. I've started calling it culturologists, but I don't think that's going to be the name we're going to use. Um, and it's just like behind the scenes and stuff. Um, so check the show notes and you're going to see links to Stephen's Twitter 
um, massively knowledgeable and amazing person all about PR and also just a genuinely nice guy as well. Uh, so definitely go and check him out. Um, if you're interested in uh, Alan's book, then it's called Restart Up, A Founder's Guide to Crisis Navigation, available on Amazon. Link will be in the show notes. And Candice has got a Twitter as well, Leanne, hasn't she, I think? She certainly has. We'll leave everybody's social handles in the show notes and we'll no doubt tag them in our socials as well. As Al said, uh, Twitter, <laughs> although we might get banned now, Twitter, <laughs> um, Facebook, um, what the other ones, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Truth Lies Work. Or you can also email us at truthlieswork at gmail.com. Okay, so next week, what are we doing? What are we talking about, Leanne? Well, I think we're going to carry on with the Elon theme just because he's around. Um, but yes, I think we've mentioned in an in a episode before that my thesis was in the dark side of personality traits. And in particular, what happens to leaders when they start to get out of control? Is this going to be the end of Elon Musk? I'm going to talk to an absolute expert in the Hogan Development Survey, and we're going to delve into the dark side of Elon so remember if you've not yet done it then click that subscribe button and make sure that uh, that all of our future episodes comes right into your inbox if you've enjoyed this help us out tell someone about it share it on your own Twitter maybe not Twitter maybe share it on your own social network maybe not Twitter <laughs> and, uh, and we're always open to feedback we'd love to hear from you so you know how to find us and we look forward to seeing you next week Whew. time for bed time for bed and a cup of tea 